This is Susanna McMonagall, and you're listening to Season 2 of the 5 to 8 Shift Podcast for Parents. The 5 to 8 Shift Podcasting community exists to educate, inspire, and encourage parents throughout their own parenthood and family life adventure. Here, we talk about all the things impacting parents today, everything from health to big emotions, toddlers to teenagers, faith, self-care, stress, and so much more. We know parenting is tough work, but family life is worth every ounce of effort. We're building a community of parents to remind you that you're not alone. Family is one of life's greatest adventures. I look forward to cheering you on in your own five to eight shift. It's the most important shift of the day. Hi, Judge Smarkman. Well, good morning. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. Thank you for having me in this morning. Absolutely. This is so exciting. I've never had a judge on my podcast, so this will be all kinds of new territory. <laughs> so you can, you can do all kinds of things you always wanted to say to judges, right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Luckily, I haven't met that many in my life, so that's probably a good, good. thing. That is, that is. Well, thank you for being here. This is, um, this is a delight. I'm so glad Lori reached out to me. And so Judge Sparkman, thank you for being here. Thanks for being on the podcast. I know my listeners are going to be excited um, to have you. So I thought we could start out by you just telling us a little bit. Um, you know, I'm looking at your website. You have a, a fascinating career, uh, looking at some of your news clippings and a couple other things. I also like the way that you talk about your family. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your law career and why you are passionate about doing that kind of work? Sure, man. Thank you for having me. I, uh, I was a practicing lawyer for a number of years and the interest of religious liberty kind of got kicked off when I was a member of a church where our pastor was preaching. <clears throat> And he was preaching on a, a biblical passage that dealt with the topic of homosexuality. And he had been given some books the, the previous week by someone that the city public library children's section had put out in front. Like Heather has two mommies and it was pushing a particular agenda like that. Mm-hmm. And so he said, I would encourage our city council to pass an ordinance requiring those books to be put behind a counter rather than promoting them out front to the children. They can ask them and they can get them, but don't just push the agenda. So the city council passed that ordinance and then someone hired an ACLU lawyer to file a lawsuit to try to have that ordinance declared unconstitutional. My pastor was subpoenaed for first for a deposition. And secondly, he was, excuse me, subpoenaed for the actual trial itself. And after that was over, I thought, well, you know, this time he was just the witness, but what if someone is really suing him to try to silence him uh, in, in his message that he was preaching? And as it progressed, I thought about how, how religious liberty had progressed where they started in the schools, said, no, you can't, you can't have prayer in schools. Gideons can't pass out Bibles. No, you can't do, you can't do this, can't do that. Then it moved to the county square where they said, no, you can't, you're not supposed to hang the Ten Commandments and courthouses. You're not supposed to have the nativity scenes. And then it moved into businesses, telling them businesses what they could or could not do. And I became convinced that the next avenue of attack was going to be, we're going to shut the pastors down and we're going to attack the pastors. Hmm. And um, so to me, that was a very logical progression of the way it would would proceed. And so then I I, uh, also thought I've got two, children that are in ministry, they work for churches, and I can easily see how over the time of their careers, they could be faced with the dilemma of, am I really going to stand on what the Bible says, even though it's unpopular, or am I going to yield and give up and not talk about those topics? So that kind of was the progression of my mindset. 
Um, I, I was a practicing lawyer for a number of years in Wichita Falls. I um, was on the school board for 12 years, was president over seven years. Okay. And uh, then I was a district judge for eight and a half years uh, before I moved as, as a general counsel for a corporate company. So that, that's a little bit of my legal career. Okay. Background. Very good. Very good. All right. So I got to ask you um, two of my own personal questions, which I saw on your website. So I'm an adoptive mom. I have two adoptive kids. And I wanted to ask you about, so you said you took part in the CPS Adoption Day. That's probably um, a while back. So I wanted to ask you what that was like, and maybe you can tell my listeners what that was. And then you wrote a really interesting piece about Fulton versus city of Philadelphia. You probably knew I was going to bring that up, uh, with the Catholic social services. So I'd love your take on that too, because I followed that case pretty closely. And then you wrote about that. So I thought I wanted, I, you know, I thought I'd ask you about that. Oh, I love adoptions. I call that happy law because that's really the only time in the courtroom people are happy with each other. <laughs> and, uh, I, I was uh, the privilege to be able to judge to hold the first uh, CPS adoption day in our county. And that's where we uh, would have, you know, all the CPS cases that had progressed to the point where they were ready for adoption. We had several of them. And, uh, you know, there are a number of things that I remember about that. But one particularly was that there was uh, an adoption of a young boy. He probably was about eight, I think. And I had seen him through the CPS process. So I knew some of his background and history and we, we kind of eased up on the decorum and the, and the mom said, look, he really wants to sit in my lap while I'm giving this testimony. Is that okay? And I said, sure. So the mom's testifying and in the middle of it, this, this little boy reaches up and grabs the microphone, pulls it down and says, this is the happiest day of my life. Aww. And I thought, oh, wow. That, that just kind of made it worth it, you know? And so I really loved adoption. I, I think it's such a clear picture for believers of what Christ has done for us and has adopted us as his children. And, you know, one of the questions that I would tend to ask the parents is you, you understand that you're accepting complete responsibility for this child as if they were naturally born into your life. Yeah. And uh, I had one of the adopted parents one time came back to me a little bit later and he said, I heard that question, but I don't think I fully understand it. I think I understand it a little bit better now. And uh, <laughs> so he laughed about that. <clears throat> and then back to the Catholic Charities case. I, you know, I, that was an interesting Supreme Court opinion where they said that uh, the city of Philadelphia could not uh, ban the Catholic Charities from uh, saying that their policy was, hey, we're, we're not going to place foster kids with same-sex uh, couples. Mm -hmm. And the courts upheld that and said in a 9-0 decision said, no, you, uh, Philadelphia, you can't do that. You can't ban them. So I think on the, on the front end of it, I think, man, we celebrate that the Supreme Court, number one, it was a 9-0 decision. We celebrate that it was the right decision to allow Catholic charities to be able to do that. Uh, we celebrate that, uh, you know, at least in that context, all nine Supreme Court justices acknowledged there was a religious liberty right. Yes. So there are things there to celebrate. You know, the lawyer in me had questions about it because it seemed yeah. so kind of like it was a little bit tortured through there. And, uh, you know, Justice Alito had some criticism for it, said, you know, now that Philadelphia has to do is go back and change their policy. And it, some of the opinion in there would make it sound like it would be OK that they banned them. And so there's some concerns going forward. But at least at this point, there's some acknowledgement about it and we can celebrate the little victories along the way. Right. 
Yes. Yes. You know, and they, 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 they're doing such amazing work, you know, as all, a lot of the foster agencies are, and they're, they're one of the big ones and they've done a ton of work. So, you know, I was just afraid that they wouldn't be able to continue to do that work. So I was really happy when it shook down that way, but yeah, when I read your post and a couple other things, and I was thinking the fight's probably not over yet, but we'll, we'll celebrate today. Yeah. Yeah. The lawyer in me, you know, I kind of critique it and the judge in me critiques it and says, guys, come on, you could have been a lot clearer about this, but I have to believe, I think what Justice Roberts, Chief Justice Roberts was doing was trying to at least, uh, you know, patch it together in a yeah. way that everybody could say, okay, we recognize religious liberty. We're not through deciding where discrimination and religious liberty will be ultimately decided who's going to win those battles. Yeah. But at least on this day, the right answer came out. So we could celebrate that. Exactly. Exactly. Good. Okay. All right. So this podcast is, I have lots of moms. We are very mom heavy on this podcast. And so listened to by a lot of moms and moms right now are making a lot of tough decisions, particularly, you know, back to school time. It's September, um, where to send their kids, how to school their children, you know, for example. And um, can you provide some advice for parents first talking a little bit about some of the religious freedom in America. So can you sort of define that for people who might not, you know, from a from a legal perspective and then provide some advice about how parents can talk to their kids about it? Yeah, you know, um, I think one of the, if I could find a silver lining in the pandemic, I think one of the things is that parents have become much more aware of what schools are teaching them. Yes. And they've been able to hear a lot more. They've been able to see a lot more. They've been able to have a lot more discussions with their kids. And I think that's a really, really, really good thing. And uh, so I, one of the things that I would encourage is that as most places appear to be going back to in-person learning this, mm-hmm. this fall is to don't stop that process. Try to stay plugged into what your kids are being taught, plugged into what their, uh, their teachers are saying to them. Uh, one of the things, for example, I know when I was on the school board, we had to approve the textbooks that were going to be used for each class. And so there's a list of books that are available of what textbooks are being used for what classes and what uh, areas of teaching. So that should be available to parents. Mm -hmm. You know, there are some advocate groups right now that are trying to push for being able to have under the Freedom Information Act or other uh, discovery methods uh, to be able to see even the teacher's uh, planning guide and see the teacher's uh, curriculum and what they're planning on doing and how they're planning on doing it. You know, one of the other things that some groups are pushing for is we now know that that the technology is is available for parents to be able to hear what's happening in classrooms. And so there are some advocate groups that are trying to push for laws and, and school board policies to allow teachers to be able to listen to what the teachers are saying. Now, there's some privacy things that, you know, you can't see all the students' faces maybe and some things like that, but they are pushing for those kinds of things to be able to have access to what teachers may be saying. Uh, And so, and I think being more active in parent-teacher organizations, and also I would encourage people to be active on their school board, to run for school board, and to support people that are going to run for school board that are open to parental involvement. You know, there are a lot of areas that Right now, there are there is not a lot of parental involvement. I, I read one thing that that really kind of terrified me as both a parent, grandparent, former school board member in Orange County, California. The Board of Education issued an opinion, and I want to I'm going to read it. So it's a quote: yeah, "Parents, parents who disagree with the instructional materials related to gender, gender identity, gender expression, and sexual orientation may not excuse their children from this instruction." And 
you know, as I look at what that, I mean, not, not just that topic, but it appears that almost any topic that they're not going to be allowed to say, no, I don't want my child to be in there for that portion. You know, it, and it's not the basic curriculum. Usually it's not what gets you in trouble. No. I know when I was on the, when I was on the school board, we had a sex education program, but it was optional in the sense that parents could always say, I want to pull my child out of that. I don't want my child to be taught that that way. I want to be the one to teach them that. And so the, the notion that they would say we're, we have a social agenda and a, a, a viewpoint that we're going to teach and parents, you may not pull your child out of this scares me. So as a parent, I would say you need to know what your school district's policies are about parental involvement. You know, yeah. if there's a if there's a program that you don't like, can I pull my child out of that program? Uh, I guess if if I was in a school district that told me that it, it would be a pretty quick decision that I would be exploring options. And, you know, now homeschools, they have such great consortiums that they can can do. I mean, qualified people, if my kids have been homeschooled by me, they've been handicapped for life. But now they have great <laughs> groups that do those kinds of things. You, you have charter schools in some areas that don't yeah. have the the restrictions that some have, you have a push for some uh, for some of the public school money to, to follow the student to other schools. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, you do have the ability to move on occasion. So maybe yeah. maybe there are a lot of options that you can do. But I would say take advantage of, of what we've been given in the pandemic to be involved and to stay stay plugged in and to know what your kids are doing. And I also would say continue to have conversations with your kids. It's real easy when your kids come home to, and you say, well, have a school today. OK, it's good. Yeah. And crickets, you know, and <laughs> so, so I would say, you know, even though it may be uncomfortable and the kids don't want to do it, I, I would prod on that and push on that a little bit more and mm-hmm. have them show you their homework and have them show you their notes that they made in school and, and really begin to have conversations and engage them in that way a little bit more aggressively than perhaps we did in the past. Yeah. So, so those would be some things that I would suggest. Yeah. And you're making me think a little bit about you know, just holding schools accountable for some of the communication pieces of it. You know, if you don't know your child's being taught this thing next week, you can't get ahead of it. And sometimes I think that happens on purpose, right? But holding the schools more accountable to be more transparent and allowing the parents to then get involved however they see fit. Right. And and I would also want to say that not all teachers are bad. I mean, there are some great, great teachers that have have great perspectives and they're very in tune to, to being uh, what the teacher, uh, the, parent, the parents and kids will mm-hmm. need. And so I, I don't want to paint everybody with a broad brush, but, but that particular one in Orange County, that just got my attention when I saw yes. that. I thought, oh my goodness. And, and so there are some that are much more friendly to parental involvement. And there are some states and some school districts that are pretty hostile to parental involvement. So I would just create that as an awareness. Um, you know, there are some groups that are trying to push um, some states limit or deny parents the right to be present on school grounds when their kids are on school. I think, you know, I, I understand the need for safety. I understand the need to check in, but I don't understand the need for a school district to ban a parent from knowing what their kids are being taught and being there on the school grounds uh, on occasion. So I, I think that there are just a, there's been a mindset shift changes to what school districts think they can do. And I think the pandemic has, has, you know, kind of put this on steroids from yes, several different has. perspectives from a religious pers- liberty perspective, you know, where the attacks have been to, to shut churches down and uh, to try to restrict what can be said and when it can be said, you know, there's been a paradigm shift in my view from a legal perspective mm-hmm. um, of religious liberty. You know, it used to be that they would go to court and say, court, make them quit praying in school court. Don't, 
make them stop uh, praying at the football games, court, make them stop having nativity scenes, court, make the, this business stop doing this. Well, now it has shifted a little bit with a more conservative Supreme Court to where it is now the mayors and the governors and legislative bodies, including school boards that are passing these these laws and restrictions and policies that now those that believe in religious liberty are having to go to the courts and say, OK, court, protect us, protect the Christian charities, protect um, my view of being able to see my kids and what they're doing, protect my view of being able to have in, input into what my kids are doing, protect my business from this. So it, it has shifted a little bit. To where now I think it is Christians going to the courts to try to get some protections, and uh, hopefully the courts will be will stand up to the challenge and be worthy of the challenge, and will do like the city of Philadelphia case and stand, even yeah. when the, it may not be what some would like them to do. Yeah, and I do think the pandemic has exacerbated some of those issues, you know, because oh, you can't go into the school because it's a safety issue because of COVID. Well, I don't I don't know if I see that reversing anytime soon, but there might, there could be other motives, right? But it's, it right. falls under this pandemic umbrella that is pretty hard to, to go up against, I would argue. I think there's going to be some of these practices that they instituted that they're going to be really slow because, you know, sometimes when you start doing something, you think, well, I could get away with it. I could do yeah. this. And they may be really slow to go back to what we would consider good practices pre-COVID. And so I think if they can get away with it and Parents probably need to be actively involved and, and be willing to take a stand and push. And, you know, a lot of times they, they, they can be successful as long as they, they stand. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. So and you already touched on some of these, but could you give us a couple examples of religious freedoms students have in schools, but perhaps are led to believe that they that they don't have some of these freedoms? So some of the freedom of speech would fall. Into sure. That. Sure. You know, I think sometimes we. Um, we get intimidated into silence mm -hmm. because some people will take their agenda and they will begin to say, you can't, you can't, you can't, and no, you can't have anything religious in the schools. So uh, they'll say, Oh, students can't pray in school. Oh yes, you can. Students can pray in school. You can go, you can have a group at, at your table at lunch and you can have your own Bible study and you can have your prayer and you can do what you want to during that time in prayer and, and Bible study. Uh, you can wear a religious t-shirt, you know, you can, say I'm a Christian or you can say things like that as on your t-shirt as long as it's not inciting violence or something like that you know they yes. can wear a message that can communicate that um, you know at the proper time and place again they can read the Bible and they can do those kinds of things um, you know before football games this is a little bit trickier but you know it because they said that you can't necessarily have a school sanctioned prayer before football games for example but mm -hmm. if the, the district randomly says we're going to let students, uh, make a speech before a football game. If a student decides, hey, I'm, my speech is going to be a prayer, they can do that. And wow. there's not, not anything in, impermissible about that. Um, I read one case that uh, a student during Christmas time prepared some cards and, and, and passed them out to the fellow students and said, Jesus is the reason for the season. And the school district wanted to stop them. And the court said, no, they can do that. So students can pass out things uh, you know, they have messages on them. Uh, again, it has to be student initiated. And I think that's a lot of the key is student initiated rather than school district initiated. Okay. And uh, I think that's a, a, a pretty strong line that students can can do a lot of things as long as they're wanting to initiate it. I mean, it can't be disruptive to the class, for example. I mean, you can't right. stand up in the middle of the class and say, teacher, I'm going to start preaching right now. Okay. I mean, <laughs> that's not the kind of thing we're talking about here. Yeah. Uh, another area that sometimes and it, it, this keeps popping up every year, it seems like that the law is very well settled on it. 
this year there was a, <clears throat> a valedictorian that was going to give a speech and included in it, she was giving part of her testimony of faith and her walk of faith and encouragement to her graduating uh, cohorts about faith. And the, the, the person from the school said, oh, no, you can't do that because that would violate the establishment clause. Well, no, it didn't violate the establishment clause. The student was chosen as valedictorian. The school yeah. didn't do that. The school didn't write her speech for. Her. So there are a number of things like that 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 kids can do in school that we get intimidated into thinking we can't speak up, we can't do anything. And uh, that's really not the truth. Okay. That's really powerful. You know, cause my husband and I, we talk about like, you know, I argue we need Christians in every profession at every level. You know, we need Christians at the top and Christians at the bottom. If all, if all the Christians are just, you know, Sunday school teachers, right. We're not influencing a, a large swath of people and, you know, being the hands and feet of Jesus. And so thinking about like ways that like our family could just do some things at school or, or, you know, set a good example, that's really powerful. And I think, you know, we use the word intimidation. And I think that probably scares some people out of making some of the choices that they really want to make. And I think, you know, a lot of us don't want to be the nail that gets hit by the hammer, right? We right, don't want to exactly. stand up and, and do that. But I think one of the things that I would encourage uh, parents in is, you know, don't be, don't be guided by fear. You know, we are not, we're not bound by fear. And one of the verses that I, that I really like is uh, Psalm 46, one and two, that says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear. And one of the things that I, I believe is that fear freezes and paralyzes us. Yeah. but hope engages and empowers us. And I think, you know, we, we lose sight of that sometimes. And I think mm -hmm. you get intimidated and, you know, I, I want to echo your, what you said. I think that <clears throat> there was a time where as believers, we thought I'm not going to be involved in politics. That's just, that's just that thing out there, you know? And uh, I, I think when we do that, we leave it to people that do not have the religious view. And I don't, I don't think we were ever designed to have, have, this is the column where I'm a, a believer. This is a column where I am a lawyer. This is yeah. a column where I can say things about my faith. This is a column where I can say, don't say things about my faith. And so I, I really encourage people to become involved in uh, school boards and city councils and, you know, elected officials as representatives and state senators and judges. I mean, when I went to law school, I, I think the only the only there were very few professions that I think my father-in-law thought were worse than being a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> I believe I changed his view over the year. They said, look, uh, you know, you, you may not like the other people's lawyer, but you like your lawyer, right? That's and you, right. You're going to need to hire. That's sure right. <laughs> you're going to need to hire a lawyer, and and there needs to be Christian lawyers that can be involved as well. Yeah. And so uh, I, I would encourage, and I would echo what you're saying is, you know, there are some great, great teachers, and there's some very committed believers that are teachers, and I I want to salute them and encourage them. And you know, while they may not can teach the Bible and and give their testimony openly before their class. You know, at their lunchtime in their in their class by themselves, they can be reading their Bible. And there may be some Christian music playing in their classroom before school starts that as mm -hmm. Christian, as some of the students walk in, somebody may hear that. Well, OK, I'm turning it off when class starts. Right. Yeah. But you can find ways to begin to be an influence. And I think, you know, one of the, the phrases that I really do like is to grow where God plants you. Yep. And I think that, you know, we as as different in different professions are planted in different places and in different ways. And we just need to grow where God plants us. And I, and I would encourage people to do that no matter what their profession is. Yeah, that's really good, Judge Sparkman. You know, and this leads me to my next question, which is a little bit talking about empowering young people to understand law versus rhetoric, which I'm sure 
you know, in my opinion, the intimidation factor is probably piece of part of this too. So what are some small ways or practical ways that we can help um, our kids and tomorrow's leaders sort of think about and have some wisdom around this topic? You know, I think it, it kind of starts as being age appropriate. Uh, you know, yes. you, you know, when, when they're young, they um, they don't comprehend as much, but we can, you know, I, I, my wife did a really good job in a couple areas. You know, she would ask the kids, well, what, what do you think Jesus would say about that? Mm-hmm. You know, and it would be about, I mean, daily questions. It wouldn't necessarily be a theological question. It might be, you know, Su- Susie hit me today in class. And, you know, what, what do you think Jesus would say about that? And so you begin to impart, even at a very, very young age, to have the mindset of different than what the world would be, right? So that they can begin to understand that. And then secondly, you can begin to to help counterbalance what I call the indoctrination in opposition to faith. Mm-hmm. And so you have to, I think part of it as a role of parent, you know, is parenting is, can be hard, uh, as you know, and it can be difficult. It can be, have a lot of, a lot of joys. Uh, I'm loving my grandkids a lot. Thank you to my kids for giving me grandkids, right? Um, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Full circle. But, 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 you know, I, I think as they, they grow, um, you know, you, you can begin to help them get their wings to fly in different ways and in different manners. Um, yeah. You know, to be able to not not be so intimidated and fearful of speaking up and saying, you know, I, I, and I will say this, you know, I was when I was a freshman in college, I was I was in a, a history class and the teacher just kind of randomly just threw out and said, don't any of you believe this God stuff, do you? And and I was just sitting there kind of shocked and he kind of moved on. And and later on, I thought, you know, I wish I'd have been thinking quick enough to be able yeah. to say something to, to that guy, but I didn't. So I think part of it is sometimes preparing them for things. Uh, as a as a pilot, I used to, when I was going through pilot training, the, the instructor would teach me about a lot of things that I never really had to do. You know, your engine quits. And so how are you, what are you, where are you going to land this plane? Or I'm going to put this plane in the spin and you got to get it out of it. Fortunately, I never had to do those things. Other That's people good. did, but I felt prepared for it, even though I didn't have to do it. Mm-hmm. And so I think preparation of our kids to, to keep them informed and saying, you know, you, you may run into situations with other kids where they uh, begin to say, you're just that old goody, goody, two shoes, Christian person or whatever. How do you think we can deal with that when they say that to you? Or you may have a teacher that says, hey, you can't speak up about God in this class. Well, you know what? They really can. And so am I preparing my child? If a teacher asks a question that says, I want you to do a paper on your your vacation. okay?" and the student turns in a paper and said, you know, I really got to do a good Bible study on this. I went to Christian camp and I did this. I learned this. I learned that. That's okay." You're responding to what the teacher has said. Have I prepared my my, my child uh, to be ready to te- to respond in that kind of a way? And I think we can teach them and train them. And and part of that means, hey, I've got to be really involved in what my kid's doing, what's happening in their lives, mm-hmm. so that I know to be able to help train them that way. You know, so I think a lot of it is awareness, teaching them awareness of when they are coming under, you know, the hostility toward what their view is. I think part of it is preparation. Part of it is giving them a safety net and a shelter that they know that they, that mom and dad, they got me. Okay. They got me. And I can do this while I'm in these formative years so that I will be prepared as an adult to deal with the situations. And, and, you know, I think one of the things that, that is an important thing for parents to do that I don't think most of us as believers do well anyway. And that is we're really good in standing on principle, 
but we're not good necessarily of communicating the love of Christ while we're standing on principle. So trying to help our kids learn, how do I communicate this in a way that is not, you know, I'm hitting them over the head with this big old book called the Bible, or I'm doing something different. And I think, you know, they, they don't necessarily have the skills to be able to do that earlier. Right. And so trying to help, help them develop those skills and we can do it by patterning what they see in us but we can help them do it by, by communication. And so I think communication is another big key for our kids to, to communicate with them on how they can communicate the message that, that we hope and believe and think that they will want to communicate. Yeah, that's really, that's really powerful. And I think, you know, the preparation is the key. I mean, I liked your analogy with the, the pilot training because I've, I can think of so many situations where, you know, two hours later, I thought about what I wanted to say yep. or the next day, but then if it happens again, and sometimes it has, um, I've had the opportunity to be more prepared and, and that's, sure. you know, and that's something, I mean, that's part of the teaching and training and bringing up a child in the way they should go that I think us parents maybe should be more intentional about for sure. This has all been, um, so fascinating. And I wanted to sort of, um, You wrote a book, which I want to talk about called The Pastor's Pit. It looks really interesting. And I know it's based off of some of your life experiences. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Well, uh, Pastor's Pit did start. The the notion for the book started when I was defending my pastor. As I said, I I thought that the next progression would be that the pastor would be attacked. And, uh, you know, again, during the pandemic, we've seen how pastors and churches have been shut down. And so I really wrote this before that happened. So I was not really thinking about it, but um, you know, one of the things that I I did was when you hear the term religious liberty, a lot of times it comes across as a a legalistic sterile term that may not have a lot of meaning to a lot of people other than, yeah, I believe in religious liberty. So what I wanted to do was to try to say an everyday scenario story that maybe maybe people could relate to Mm -hmm. and understand how this might play out in, in reality or in practice. So I took a, a pastor in Oregon that was preaching a sermon and he was trying to make a point of, Hey, this is, you know, you're where you are in eternity is one of the, is the ultimate question. And so we do that by faith in Christ. And I don't care if you're a Baptist Methodist or a Muslim, if you don't trust Christ, well, you're, you're not going to heaven. So it got interpreted and spun in the media and by a lot of people as he was telling the Muslims they were going to hell. And so he got indicted for religious hate speech. And uh, he had a best friend from high school that was a lawyer. And he got, of course, he's the lawyer from Texas, right? I mean, he got some yes, Texas in there somewhere. <laughs> and so he, he goes up there to defend his friend as he is indicted and tried and then take the case through the through the Supreme Court. And, you know, one of the things is I think it's, it's easy to say, OK, that pastor's under attack. But when he gets attacked, it's not just him. It's his wife. It's his kids. It's his church. Uh, the kids in his church that are then in the high school where it slips out into it's other pastors in the area. I mean, it's, it is truly like the ripple effect of the rock in the pond. It just goes out and out. And I, I wanted to try to communicate that so that people could, could understand it and could believe it. And, you know, this is not while, while the, the focus of the book is from a Christian perspective, you know, I, I think that there's an old adage that says, um, uh, you can take no joy if there's a hole in my end of the boat, right? Because mm-hmm. there's still water coming in. Then if, if religious liberty goes away, I, I could point you to cases that involve Jewish faith, Catholic faith, the Muslim faith, the Native American faith. This is an area that all, if it goes away, it goes away for everybody, not just those of, of Christian faith. 
That's right. And so I think it's it's something that we should all be aware of. And, and uh, you know, there are a number of things that, that we see that I tried to incorporate in the book that, you know, like uh, did the pastors stand behind that pastor whenever he was coming under attack? And the initial spoiler is, no, initially they did not. Yeah. So, you know, there are a lot of different things that I tried to use as, as making it very practical and understandable in a story fashion. So hopefully people will enjoy it. Yeah, it sounds great. It sounds great. And so where can people get the book? Okay, they can get it at uh, at Amazon, Barnes Noble, or I have a website, JudgeRoySparkman.com, that has a buy link to it. So they can do it from any of those places. Wonderful. And this just came out like a couple weeks ago, right? This year, right? Yeah, it's it's this year. It's it's, it's fairly recent, right? It is. Yeah, this year. All right. Fantastic. And so I have... um, Two questions at the end of every podcast that I ask my guests. And the first one is, what is your favorite family activity? What do you like to do? You mentioned you like your grandkids most these days. So what do you like to do with them? <laughs> we have a lake house. And so I enjoy taking them to the lake house. And they, they love, you know, things like me slinging them on the two out in the lake oh, yeah. or, the you know, wakeboarding and doing those kind of things. Um, and so I would say that would be one of the fun activities. Uh, just watching them grow and, and their sports and activities. I'm really enjoying that. So yeah. that, that would be, that'd be a couple of things I really enjoy. Okay. Fantastic. And then the other one, where's the best place people can connect with you? Uh, they can go through the website, judgeroysparkman.com. Okay. And that would probably be, you know, I've got a connect with yep. um, place on there on the website that they can get, reach me that way. Okay. And so I'd love to connect with them. Okay. All right. Well, Judge Sparkman, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for taking time out of your your summer and your busy week. And this was really thought-provoking and interesting. And I appreciate you sharing your expertise with my audience. Well, thank you, Suzanne. I appreciate you having me and I appreciate your ministry that you have there as well. Thanks for listening in today. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to rate and review us wherever you're listening to this podcast. Be sure to share with us on Instagram what you liked most about the episode by tagging me at Susanna.McMonagle. And lastly, if you want more information about the 5 to 8 shift, you can check out our website, the5to8shift.com. We'll see you guys next time.